Welcome to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of identity and healing with your host, Dr. Laura Polak, a somatic healer and chiropractor. Let's join the podcast. Welcome to the Queer Body. This is the end of season two. I'm really delighted to have a couple of people with us today. I want to give you some deets before we do that which is that we will be taking a break until August. So happy Pride to everybody. We will be back. We had talked about developing coursework in the spring, and we are into the summer. So we are on queer time. So look for uh, maybe some queer classes in the fall. We'll start working on all of that. And I'm really, really delighted to introduce my guest speakers today, which is Jason and Crystal, who are a team, which I was really hesitant about, but they are so committed to the queering of community and working together that they talked me into it. So I'm I'm stoked <laughs> to have you both here. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you for walking your walk and holding <laughs> me accountable. I appreciate it. So um, I'll start with you, Crystal, because I have a little history with you with Lunacy back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about you. What, what do you want to tell me? Um, well, yeah. Um, you know, I've been like an arts administrator for a long time and sort of started with Lunacy. That was like one of the first nonprofits that I co-founded with friends and fellow dreamers. And ever since, I feel like I've been doing that. I've been really committed to making space for artists, especially artists of color, tell their stories, to feel like professionals, and to to be seen and heard. I'm an artist myself, which, you know, kind of goes together, but sometimes I don't get a chance to make art because I'm helping other people make art. <laughs> um, so lately, I've sort of switched over from the art making and arts administration to doing consultant. And consultants, and um, that's one of the things I do together with Jason. You can find me on the web at crystalmason.net, Crystal Mason Consulting. Also, I do uh, a practice called Dreaming, which is part of all the work I do, whether it's individual consulting or consulting for businesses and organizations. I guess you could also call me a queer dreamer. That's right. And trying to bring more of that into the world. (laughs) Beautiful. I'm so looking forward to talking more about that. But let's hear. I would love to get a little intro from you, Jason. Tell me something about you. Hi, everyone. My name is Jason Wyman. I'm also queerly complex. Uh, I live, love, and reside and create here on Yalamu, which is unceded Ramatusha Ohlone land, also known as San Francisco. I call myself a social practice artist, which just means that I use any of the materials and practices available to me to co-create and co-construct responses that help us make meaning of this incredibly chaotic cosmos. Often I do that with Crystal, uh, (laughs) which is why we're here today. Crystal and I met a while ago uh, through dreaming, actually, and I will share more in that about that soon, or Crystal can share more about that soon. But what started down this path was dreaming in community with other queer and trans folks here in San Francisco. And that led us down a meandering path of co-creating dreaming spaces in virtual reality, uh, online, here, wherever we possibly could, until finally we started a business together called Tree of Change. And I am delighted to be in community with Crystal and co-creating with Crystal and being able to share 
our story, not just our individual stories, but our individual stories and our collective stories. Because um, for me, we queers need to figure out how to survive in this world. And it's going to take more than just romantic partnership to do so. And I'm grateful to be in partnership with Crystal. Oh, my God. I'm going to get all weepy. That's just beautiful. <laughs> oh, what I can share to you guys is that I'm having family transition. And so when you have family transition, you start to look to your chosen family, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is so much value placed on romantic love and that you all have chosen yourself as family mm-hmm. and are aligning yourselves. And I, I know that's not easy. I'm sure you all have your tumbles and your tussles and whatever, and that you're making it through here to represent not only like, I just love how edgy you are. You guys are already like, you're not talking about doing something or art or whatever. It's dreaming. So what the fuck is dreaming, guys? What what does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, uh, I'll give you a little background. In 2016, I was asked to be part of an artist residency um, run by the artist Tessa Wills. And um, we were all invited to create our own practice. And the practice I created was dreaming. At the time, like 2016, right? It was a difficult time in this country, to say the least. And I was also having my personal difficulties, which was uh, around a lot of family and friends and lovers dying. So I was in a spot where I literally could not see like a inch in front of me, mm-hmm. um, metaphorically, right? And mm-hmm. I just felt so stuck and so out of it. And so like isolated in a lot of ways. And so I created this dreaming practice and it seemed to be helpful for me, right? It, Helped me like regain some of my creativity. It helped me sort of shift the way I was seeing myself in the world. And also, uh, honestly, it sort of helped me sort of think about what my real purpose was. And then, you know, I had met Jason probably about a year or two before. And, you know, they were working at a cafe and I would come in. I lived down the street and we'd chat. And I just thought, oh, this is a really wonderful person, right? You know, sometimes you meet somebody and you just click and you hope that you will see them, but you know life, right? Mm-hmm. So even after Jason wasn't working there anymore, you know, I was then working at a cafe and they came in and we chatted and chatted and chatted some more. And finally, because of Jason, I'm going to let you finish this story, Jason. We got a chance to sort of work together, right? And I had talked to Jason about dreaming. They had talked to me about their social practice, artistry and collaborations and things of this sort. And it just seemed like a good time to sort of bring out experiences and wants and desires together. Mm. Want to finish that, Jason? Sure. Thank you, Crystal. I had been invited by the Red Poppy Art House. Zena Carlotta and Shum Das uh, Sh- uh, were the co-directors at the time of the Red Poppy Art House. And I had been working with the Red Poppy through the Mission Arts and Performance Project and a variety of other, other endeavors. And they really wanted to connect with very specific communities. They had felt that the Red Poppy had done a really good job of cultivating community, but that they hadn't done a great job of necessarily culting relations with particular communities that they deemed as being crucial to the success of the Red Poppy Art House uh, into the future. 
Some of those communities included folks born and raised in the mission, immigrant artists, and then also queer and trans artists, that they recognized that they wanted a series of interventions to help build relationships with those particular communities for potential programming in the future. So what I said to them was, I was like, great, you know, as a social practice artist, I'll find other artists that represent those communities and collectively we'll work together in order to create some sort of gathering that gathers those people that is culturally relevant and specific to those particular communities. And so I reached out to Crystal to help kind of create a dinner party with me on behalf of the Red Poppy Art House. Uh, for queer and trans folks. And Crystal and I in dialogue, Crystal was like, oh, well, I do the streaming thing. And I was like, dreaming, that sounds fabulous. Let's just do queer dreaming. Mm -hmm. And we created something called a Feast of Dreams, uh, where we brought together about, I think it was about 10 different artists to be able to dream together and then share those dreams with one another and then create these boxes that would contain our dreams that we could take with us and kind of put in our homes. In fact, mine's up on my shelf up here somewhere. Uh, still to this day. Mine's um, over there. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently mine is right here. You guys are in the box. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, and so that's how we started down this path together. And we did that in 2017 after Crystal had already done their practice once and really refined it and defined it for themselves. And that's where we really got our chopped our teeth together, you know, really figured out how to work together to see how this was, you know, but that was 2017 and we're now in 2023. You know, I think it's important to name that, you know, sometimes dreams take a long time to realize or are not on the timelines that we think that they are. And so while Crystal and I loved that experience and we wanted to co-create together and we did other like one-offs here and there, it wasn't really until 2021 that we really decided to go into business with one another and really take a look at how do we use our queer selves in order to dream, and not just dream with queer and trans people, which is where it started, but really seed, you know, queerness and seed dreaming in all of the communities that we find ourselves co-creating with and amongst. Well, you guys have said a lot, so I'm going to jump in for a minute and see if I can untangle a little bit just for people who are like, what? So <laughs> I, I'll say you guys are both artists. Mm -hmm. A lot of your work is done through artwork, right? Is that accurate? Yep. And then this queering part, are you manifesting people's mm, I would dreaming? Like, what is dreaming? Like, I, I always think of it as a future. Like, we're looking into the future. I have a dream. Like, it's like out mm -hmm. here, but right. could it be here too? It certainly can be. I mean... A lot of the times when we're using dreaming, we are trying to get people to actually imagine a future, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the things we did through Querying Dreams is we did a, a whole workshop called um, A Space for Dreaming Abolition, for instance. Mm -hmm. That was all about trying to get people to see abolition in a very expansive way, right? Beyond just ending the carceral state, but thinking about what we will need to create the conditions to get rid of the carceral state and also looking at what's going to happen beyond the carceral state, right? Okay, so let me just pause you for a minute and define those words for my community. Okay. So car the carceral state in my mind is like prisons and jails, 
It's like child protective services, um, mental institutions, GA or like, you know, SNAP or social services and things like this. I see all of that as part of the carceral state because it's all about control and also in a lot of ways punishing. people. So, again, abolition is about trying to get rid of these things. But I think it's also to borrow a term from Jason, it's about getting rid of the cop in our own heads. Right and get away from this habit of being, I think, honestly, I think we as a country are really addicted to punishment. And that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get rid of the carceral state or to get people thinking about that, right? You know, as somebody who's in the health industry, I I would say the Western industrial complex would fit right right on in there as I'm dealing with health issues with an elderly person or with my friends who are obese, which is a bullshit term in its own way. Um, so yeah, it it is pretty much everywhere and we're living in it and breathing in it. And that is one question I like to ask a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I will ask both of you, like when you're swimming in the culture of this mm-hmm. carceral state mm-hmm. and you're trying to seed this dream of abolitionism, this particular mm-hmm. last thing you did, how do you not drink the water of what, what you're swimming in? One, I think it's important to just name. It is the water. Mm-hmm. There is no escaping drinking it. I mean, if if we're talking about, you know, being fish in a sea, they need the water in order to breathe, just like we need air. Mm-hmm. So I think one is acknowledging straight up that there is no escape at this particular moment. Amen. I don't know that we can separate ourselves from a system that we are forced to participate in. And to do so is part of the problem, to be perfectly blunt. It is what creates an us and a them, is by this separation by saying, I am not, I'm not capitalist, or I am anti-capitalist. Myself, I consider myself anti-capitalist. That does not mean that as an anti-capitalist, I'm not benefiting from and participating in capitalism. It just means that I can notice at times, not all the time, but at times where capitalism decides to exert itself in my life, specifically through forms of extraction and extraction of labor as a very specific and narrow definition of of capitalism. And I can make choices whenever it is that I have the privilege and the power to make those choices to not advance that system. A good example was a few years ago, I was uh, invited in to relaunch a a national youth media network. And when I was asked to to help co-launch this, I looked directly at the person who was asking me to do it. And I said, I'm a 40-year-old white guy. Where's the money for a young person to actually co-create a youth media network with me? And how are you paying them? the same rate of pay as me. Now, the director was like, well, we don't have that money, blah, 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 blah. And I just looked at her and I said, well, then I'm not your person. Mm. Three weeks later, she came back and she's like, here's the money to hire a young person because we were told by our board of directors to hire you. And I was like, yes. And your board asked to hire me because this would be the first conversation we had was about compensating a young person. And that person who helped me launch it was uh, is a person by the name of Maya Overstreet. 
And she's a Black woman born and raised in the Bay Area at the time she was a freshman at San Francisco State. Uh, and now she is in her second year of graduate school in the UC Berkeley School of Journalism. So again, it isn't about the fact that I can escape from the system. It is a fact of recognizing the system is all around me and that there are opportunities for me to change that system towards the goal of the values that I hold and the dreams and the visions that I want to see made real. I definitely want to say thank you for holding that dream and vision. And thank you for, again, acting on it. Like there are a lot of people talking the talk, but there's not as many people walking the walk. So I appreciate that. But I'm going to try to just check in with you both about that. So here you are, a queer team. You both go by they, them. Mm -hmm. And you just started a business and you all live in this Wait, you live in Oakland, right, Crystal? Yeah, I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. You live in Oakland. He lives in San Francisco. Sorry, they live in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And y'all have to pay rent and bills and all those things. So you are, again, here you are in the capitalist system, creating something that's, you know, I know from the work I do, I'm always so far on the edge, then how do you get people to buy your product, right? So here you are in the cap, like you guys, we want you to make money. We want you to thrive. How are you being in the system and breaking the system at the same time? How does that work? Well, I think for myself, when I'm thinking about this, I think we have existing institutions and um, ways of doing things and ways of being. And we can't forget that, right? I mean, and we can't act like that doesn't exist. What we can do is look at and trying to create institutions and ways of being um, that serve us, you know? And so, yeah, we charge people money to do the work we do, for sure, right. right? And I think we try to always have like a fair price and we also try not to be extractive. And one of the ways we do that is that like any tool that we share with an organization or a person, they are also free to use without us, right? And we also, like right now, we're working with the African-American Art and Culture Complex, mm -hmm. and we're doing um, some dreaming and listening sessions for them, right? But we're also training three people in the program to facilitate those dreaming and listening mm -hmm. services mm -hmm. so that even after they're done working with us, we're helping them build the capacity to do the work that they hired us to do. I love that so much. Um, so important. And, right. And we basically, like I said, we have a, um, what is that, Jason? The commons, the... the um, Creative commons license yeah. on, almost, on everything that we do. You know, right. I think for me... I don't know the license, say it again. So creative commons, just Got to it. kind of give uh, your viewers or listeners a little understanding. Creative commons was created as a license um, in, I want to say, the late 90s, early 2000s. It is a way for creators of any stripe to be able to define the parameters for the types of sharing that they would like. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a variety of different types of sharing. It is used in tandem with copyright. It does not replace copyright. It is used in tandem with copyright. And then uh, again, sets the parameters for how people can share uh, creative works. Those creative works could be music, a painting, an image, but it also governs things like agendas and uh, things like workshop materials and worksheets and slideshows and things of that nature, language in general. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So we choose to use the most generous Creative Commons license possible on all of the things that we produce and put out. That does not mean all the things that we work with our clients have the same exact Creative Commons, but everything that we produce has what we call the Creative Commons 4.0 license, which allows for reuse and remix of our works, Mm -hmm. including for commercial purposes. And we're very explicit that, you know, we want people to be able to use the things that we create to actually pay their bills, not just in some theoretical way, but if you come to our dreaming workshop you get access to our agenda and you're like, wow, I really understand this. And I just want to do dreaming sessions in my community. And I'm going to charge 20 to 50 bucks per session for folks. You don't owe us money. Go and do that. We want you to do that. That's actually okay. Because so often intellectual property is held like this. And that is the corporate domination of, of intellectual property. And I'm not saying this is great for all creators and all industries, because that is not true. But for us, in the areas and the avenues where we have control, we want to be able to make tools available that other people can use to actually feed themselves. Yeah, that's one of the ways we are trying to develop different ways of being and living and working together. And we often use the term Mm co-create. So, you know, we do that because we realize when we're creating a thing, even if we've created the workshop, all the participants are also then Mm -hmm. co-creators. And again, like Jason was saying, and that could lead to them making money. Um, Whereas most workshops and stuff you go to, they're like so proprietary over their content. That, yeah, like, so you have to keep coming back to them. We want to create a world where we can share knowledge and that knowledge is shared and shared and other people can benefit from that knowledge. And honestly, I think it's a great thing because I believe we are moving to, if we haven't already, but I think we are are moving towards valuing the work of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to sort of decapitalize that thing. In other words, we're trying to queer the idea that um, we're the only ones who hold knowledge and we're the only ones who should get paid for it. I love it. I I really do. There's something I have to say just because I got all excited. So I have to jump in for a minute. One of my favorite teachers in the holistic healing world, her name is America Bracha. Mm -hmm. And she she started this work where she um, helped people, she calls them promotoras in Mm -hmm. LA. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they, as a healing center, engage the community to teach the community the things that they want to learn. So for instance, if they're doing domestic violence, they have tortillas, they go out to the park, and the women are giving out tortillas and explaining about, hey, this is what happens if domestic violence happens in your neighborhood. And I really believe that that is the future of of healthcare, one, but also Mm -hmm. of all things where we decentralize the knowledge and people start decimating it within communities, which is a little bit about what we're doing here. Like, you know, I really think that's very important. And the question becomes in my jaded, you know, tired, exhausted, burned out version. Yeah, but how do you pay yourself? Like, how do you still give it away? Like that the fear is if I create dreaming and I trademark it and I say I'm the one and you have to use it all the time, then I'll make more money. Mm -hmm. And I know that's an old fear construct, 
but it's the one that we're swimming in. So how are you all making money outside of that? So I want to address this. I think, you know, a couple of things, you know, one, it's about your own comfort level and relationship to money. Mm. Honestly, I do not fear poverty. I just really need to be clear about that. Mm -hmm. When Crystal and I went into business together, I had literally fired my main client that I had had for five years that had paid all my bills. Mm -hmm. I had seen in some ways my most lucrative amount of money in 2020 during the pandemic because of the fact that all of my work has been virtual since before the pandemic. And the end of that year, I, I never received pandemic assistance because I was working. Mm -hmm. So when I fired my client at the end, or when we amicably split at the end of 2020, I didn't have another client. And it was a big leap to say, going into 2021, I'm going to do this. Now, one thing that was there, again, this is about how we articulate where privilege and power resides. Mm -hmm. At that exact same time, Trump, I just want to name this, it was Trump who passed this, not to give flowers or flowers are due, but it was the Trump administration that expanded coverage of aid to independent contractors in December of 2020, which allowed me the ability to make this decision and go on pandemic assistance starting in January of 2021. Mm -hmm. So I was able to at least get six months of some relief in the move from where I was previously into this new version of wherever it was that I was going to go. I also am married and I have a husband and he works music retail. Again, he works retail. He does not work a lovely, well-paying job. He works a very low-waged retail job, but we live in a rent-controlled unit in San Francisco that we have been in for 19 years. So when we look at a budget, we can actually understand, one, what government assistance is available to us in this particular moment in order for us to cover the necessities of our life and stay in our home? How much money do I need to actually bring in in order to make that work? And what additional programs do I actually need to apply for? So I went on Healthy San Francisco because I don't have health insurance. I want to be real. I do not have health insurance. It is cheaper for me to pay the fee every year for not having health insurance and to be unhealthy San Francisco than it would be for me to have health insurance. This is as evidenced by the fact that I had to have major arterial bypass surgery in my right knee and being unhealthy San Francisco, an overnight hospital visit along with all of my recovery was $200. Flat. I did not pay any more than that. So when we talk about numbers, I think it's important to talk real numbers here, not fake numbers. Do you know what I'm saying? And in that decision, for me, going on, you know, healthy San Francisco, not having health insurance, do you know what I'm saying? Applying to government assistance for a little bit of pandemic relief allowed me to be able to cover my bills for six months so that we could start something together. And from there, we've started seeing things flourish and grow, but it's also been months of like, shit, 
I'm racking up $5,000 of debt on my credit card. And I'm just going to have faith right now that I'm going to do this. And if I don't in the next few months, I will go get a job slinging coffee because I have no problem slinging coffee. I have no problem with physical labor. But when it comes to the kind of change management work that I think Crystal and I are dedicated to, that when it comes to this work, that values and dreams are incredibly important to use as the guiding North Star for how we make decisions around this, because we can always go get a job schlepping for an, a corporate overlord at any point in our time that we need to in order to pay our bills. What we can't do is compromise on our values when doing change management, dream-based work. Crystal, what do you think about that? It's different from a, a well-educated, super-on-purpose white man, but how do you feel? I, I just, really quickly, I want to say something to that. I it's never graduated college. I got kicked out of college for being yeah. queer. So on the well-educated front, there's a lot of assumptions that get made yeah. on me and my body as a white queer that often get coded as university level stuff. And I literally have this knowledge not because of the university system. So I just want to like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me jump in there on that. So I mean, well-educated in that you know how to work that system. Great. Um, I I, I didn't mean it in terms of graduate level. Great. Thank you. (laughs) gendered you twice now. So apologies on that. Um, I, I was more speaking to acknowledging our privilege. I mean, yeah. as a white woman, I have privileges that other people don't. And that, you know, I so appreciate, like, I'm with you. Um, I don't know if I have as much courage as you do to really put my dreams and value at the front and go to the poverty. I think that takes a lot of chutzpah in my world. Like, I, I so honor that and appreciate it. And I was just curious what Crystal's perspective was. So I apologize for stepping on toes. Oh, no worries. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think for myself, I will also put forth that I, I also didn't graduate from college, but I've done a lot of work that puts me in this position to do this work today. I was living in uh, San Francisco for like for the first year of the pandemic. And then I moved to Richmond, Virginia um, to help my sister out. But like many people, again, giving due, you know, where it belongs, you know, from like many people, the pandemic money was really helpful for me and like the unemployment and stuff. Right. But I was still also working a part time job at Queer Rebels as the managing director, which allowed me also to work online. So I was lucky enough for the first time in my life, really to save up enough money that I could take this leap. And like Jason was saying, there were plenty of times where I was like, well, maybe it's time for me to go ahead and get another side job, right? Because, you know, it takes time. And my money was starting to dwindle, right? (laughs) Um, um, Even though we were constantly getting work, the sort of work we were getting, you know, it wasn't like bigger jobs. It was kind of like one-off things, right? So I was bringing money in, but, you know, like I said, it was starting to dwindle and I was starting to wonder, like, if I need to get another job. There was a few times. And like Jason, I mean, honestly, I've been poor most of my life, if you think about it. And I mean poor in the way society sees poor, right? Mm. Um, Not like I see, like a lot of people see poor, right? But, I, you know, 
there have been times in my life where I've made more money and when I made less money. So I'm cool with that. And I always figure out a way. And somehow or another, I've always been able to bring myself sort of back to a level that I feel more comfortable with. So part of the thing for me is, for one, belief in myself. And so, uh, and also belief that if I needed a job, I could get a job. Mm -hmm. And again, that comes with a lot of experience and also a lot of experience having to get jobs and then get another job (laughs) and things of this sort, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think there is a difference. There is a bit of difference, you know, around race and stuff, right? Because I feel like sometimes, you know, for instance, I feel more like I have to sort of prove myself to some of our customers, maybe more than Jason does or in a different way, right? But at the end of the day, I'm just like Jason with this. I believe in our purpose. I believe in our dream. And I believe in the need to sort of do the work of creating the the world that you want to see. And that's basically, again, what Jason and I are doing, I believe, is we're doing that work. We've sort of come together in, in agreement and in alignment and, and like love and care. And that has created sort of like, I think, this sort of singular purpose between us of doing that work of, like I said, really creating the world we want to see, but also helping other people do that. Because that's really what, I, that's the real seed of our work is getting people to the point where they're actually, you know, recognizing that we live in a racist, white supremacist, capitalist world, but trying to get them to see beyond that to what is really important to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, we need money like everybody else. because We have bills to pay and we don't lie about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, we charge what we feel like we can charge. We're also always open to negotiation, negotiation with like under-resourced organization or people. Right. But, you know, but at the end of the day, we also get to choose who we work with. And we're not interested in working with people we have to convince about the rightness of our work. We can talk about how we do our work with people, but we're not about like working with organizations where we have to convince of white supremacy, of anti-blackness, of homophobia, you know, biases against poor people and things. We're not interested in that. So. Again, I think we feel like we can survive because we have family, we have friends, we have family of choice, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that makes it possible for us to take this real leap of faith in ourselves and in the fact that people need the work we're doing and we'll pay for it, you know? Guys, I just want to say like, Fuck yeah. (laughs) Really, like, I I really appreciate the risk. I really appreciate the commitment. I appreciate all of the things that you're doing. And I'm sorry, I am enough of a capitalist to say, I want you to get paid lots of money. Like, you know, please, like, thrive. A couple of things, you know, I I actually want to unpack a little bit about the back end business of this, because I think it also, this is another thing that's important and crucial to name and articulate. Okay. We work together under something called Tree of Change. Tree of Change is just a praxis. It is not a business and it is not an organization. It is just a way of dreaming of change and some of the systems and tools and techniques that we use under that. When a Wait, client... hang on. Some people have asked me in the past, define praxis, please. 
So for me, praxis just means how the hell do we educate ourselves? That's really what it means. What are all the things that are necessary for us to learn and grow together? Uh, that includes, you know, the actual activities that we do, but that also includes the environment that we're, that we're in. It includes who's in the classroom or in the learning environment with us. Mm-hmm. All of those pieces together are what are praxis to me. That might not be the exact academic definition of it, but as someone that's been doing it, that's my embodied lived experience. (laughs) Go ahead and move forward. I just want people to be on the same page. Great. So, you know, we're, again, we're not a business. So what that means is when a client approaches us, we are two independent contractors working with the same client. Mm-hmm. So the client relationship is actually a one to two relationship, meaning that the client has to have a relationship with me and has to have a relationship with Crystal. So frequently in these kinds of business models, this is where extraction happens. Do you know what I'm saying? So often in these business models, it goes to a single entity and then that single entity has subcontractors underneath it, Right. And so under that relationship, the main consultant or the main contract holder then writes a series of subcontracts for all of the additional work that's being done underneath that, which means that the actual relationship between the client and the main person is a one-to-one. For us, we're not interested in that. We want these institutions building individual relationships with anyone and everyone that we work with. So as a for right now, that's Crystal and me. If that would require us to hire, let's say, a photographer for an event, that means we, the photographer would not be a subcontractor of Crystal or me. It means that the photographer would have to be a contractor of the main client so that we're actually starting to build the relationship between whoever that client is and who the photographer is. The reason we do this, this is where I think it is explicitly anti-capitalist. Relationships and the control of relationships and the domination of relationships are at the center of capitalism. By us distributing those relationships and forcing one-to-one relationships or one-to-three relationships, do you know what I'm saying? We're actually opening the avenue for more relational development. Relational development is how we beat freaking capitalism. When you ask, how are we successful? The clients we have are clients we have because we've known them for a long time and they're excited to work with us and we know that they have aligned values. That's how we know who to work with. Um, And even for someone that's new, it's because they've been referred by someone who we have a longstanding relationship to. This is relational work. This is not outcome strategy-based work. This is real deep relational-based work. And to me, that's how we disentangle ourselves from capitalism. Got it. I'm going to switch gears for a minute because you and me and you and me and you and me and you and me, like all of us could talk forever. And I see the time going tick, 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 tick. And um, I really have a huge passion for people having something to work with at home. So the constructs are all here and good Lord, nobody ever wants to talk about money or class or any of that. So thank you for untangling that brand new to the show. And I would love for you all together, however you do that, to give our listeners a practice of dreaming and 
I, yeah, just what that would look like. And if you could lead us on a dreaming journey for maybe five, 10 minutes or how, how would you, however you would construct it. I would love to have an experiential, like, this is what dreaming is. Um, we can do that. Um, but I have to say that also a big part of dreaming is the ability to share those dreams with the people you're dreaming with. Mm, the relationship. Um, right. Right. So I would say we can maybe like dream for like about three minutes, mm-hmm. take a couple of minutes to get your thoughts together and then take another couple of minutes or so to share our dreams um, with each other in the audience. And Jason, talk. I, I would love to just, Crystal is great at leading everyone into the dream. So I'm just deferring to Crystal on this. Um <laughs> But one thing I would love to encourage folks to do before we even get started is, you know, Crystal mentioned the fact that, you know, this really is about relationships. So, you know, if you're listening to this right now, pause this recording for just a second and take a moment and write down three names of people that you would like to share your dreams with. We're about to do some dreaming together. You might not be able to share it with us in the virtual space, but that does not mean you cannot share your dreams. So just take a moment, pause this recording, and think about three people that you want to share your dreams with. You might not know what those dreams are yet, but commit to sharing it with those people. Uh, Take a risk, be a little vulnerable, uh, and be a little bold with the people in your life. Okay, shall we get started now? Yes, please. Okay, so again, if everyone could close their eyes, or make them soft, whatever works for you. And try to get comfortable where you are. And once you feel comfortable, see if you can get a little bit more comfortable. And take a nice deep breath. And let your mind start to wander. And again, there's no right or wrong way. This is your practice. And let your mind eye guide you from things you know to things you may want to experiences you remember to the future you desire. And all you really have to do is notice. Notice what comes up, what catches your attention, what makes you happy or even sad. Just notice. And so let yourself just dream. Okay, so if everyone could come back. So now I want you to take like just a couple of minutes and maybe just write down some of the thoughts and feelings that came up for you maybe to talk about like any feelings of need or want came up for you or anything like that or like I said just the colors you saw or anything that comes to mind and you don't have to make any decisions about what's important or what's not because they may come to you at another time so just take a couple of minutes and again I'll call you back and write down or gather your thoughts Does anybody need more time? Okay. So, um, Jason, I'm going to ask you to share your dream first, just to model what that might look like. 
Great. Um, so this is what I wrote. The cold ocean water lapping upon your feet, the warm sun upon your face, and a fire at your back. A galaxy unfolding overhead so wondrously full it makes you dizzy. And all, all of our people free. Free from shame, domination, and control. Thank you. And Laura, would you like to share your dream? <laughs> After that, hell no. <laughs> oh, come on. This is not a competition. And we're not in competition with one another. So... You know, that's very important to dreaming because like Jason was saying, you know, we have to get rid of our shame and like our comparing ourselves to each other and to see it as the capitalist trope that it is of a fear we'll never be good enough mm. or do enough. So try to release yourself from that and just share your dream with us. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Can release yourself from that. Okay, Crystal. <laughs> Um, all right. As an introvert, that's a leap for me, but I'll do it because you're the leader. Mm -hmm. um, so I am working with my mom who's moving into the next, you know, she's looking at her exiting plan. Mm -hmm. So I saw this me dancing and a web around me and strings dissolving in one direction. And then I also have my son who's also kind of moving into his own beingness. So those threads were dissolving. And then the creation of this queer body, more threads and ribbons moving in and out of that. And um, me kind of spiraling like a DNA helix with ribbons going around it. And, you know, so mine was more images than words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really in line with a lot of people. That's why we invite people to interpret their dreams or how they want to do it in many different ways. So my dreaming was a little in and out because of having to attend the time and stuff. Mm -hmm. But basically, when I got to sort of sink in a little bit, I saw a lot of different roads and like, you know, roads crossing here and there and and sort of trees growing and people talking and laughing. And and it brought me back to when I was a kid. I grew up in a house like with um, two grandparents, two parents, and like three other sisters and brothers. So it was a lot of people. And I used to like get under the dining room table because it had a long cloth. And that was like one of my favorite ways of enjoying my family <laughs> was just hearing them about mm -hmm. and hearing the noise, the laughter, and the talking. And uh, recently, I also lived in a, a 13 person co-op. I used to also love that to be in my room and to have my little cocoon, but to hear the life of the house. So that's kind of what my dreaming, that's mm -hmm. kind of what happened in my dreaming. All right. Well, as the hostess or whatever I am of this show, that was so much fucking fun. That was <laughs> awesome. And the relational part is really important. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many things where like, I'm like, but no, no, you're asking me to break that third wall. Mm -hmm. And thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we hear quite often that like people also are in such um, like a grind sort of mode these days, trying to survive and live. Even people with like more resources, right? And then especially people with less resources. And one of the things we keep hearing over and over again is that people are grateful just for that time. 
to be alone with their own thoughts and feelings and emotions. And then there's also that sort of relief, almost a relief, right, Jason, of being able to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's been like a real through line in our work. I completely agree. You know, we were doing, we actually did dreaming with young folks, partly through the youth media network that I helped co-design, um, and then also through another project that I had been working on with Rise Youth Center. And young folks in those spaces, you know, would come back after dreaming and would share, you know, I don't, I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. There's so much going on in my house. And, you know, my parent or guardian came in and was like disrupting me and asking me to like help with my brother or sister. Like we got a lot of that. Do you know what I'm saying? Just because people's lives are really busy. And yet, every single person would come back online and share what they went through. Mm. So it wasn't about, did you do this right? Did you not do this right? Did life allow you the space to dream or not allow you the space to dream? But it's about naming this process as our dreams and then sharing how we relate to our dreams with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me, when I've done a lot of reading of psychotherapy dream work in the last, you know, year or so, you know, all about interpretations of dreams and like a whole bunch of stuff. I, I have to say the one thing that continues to be missed in psychotherapy to this day after reading so much in the last, you know, is that that the act of sharing that with other people, that's where the meaning making comes in. It's not even in interpreting the dream. It's actually in just sharing it with someone else and having that be witnessed by someone. That is literally where the meaning comes in. And to me, that's been the most radical thing possible. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with that, in full agreement with the radical possibility of getting people across differences, across the country, together to actually dream, and then to create a space that allows people to be vulnerable enough to actually share their dreams with one another. Because that's the other part of it is like, you know, we're really asking people to be vulnerable. So it's incumbent upon Jason and I, whether we're working together or separately, to create that container where people feel safe enough to be vulnerable. And the need to be vulnerable with people is really great in this day and time, I believe. And it might be the one thing that helps us like really move forward because the need for spaces where we can just be ourselves and lay our armor down for an hour or two, it's really invaluable. Mm. So appreciate you both and your work. And I am going to rein us in because our time is is moving on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before I rein us in with like blah, 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 blah. Is there anything that you haven't said that you really wanted to say? For anyone that's listening, please talk to other people in your life. It's lovely to listen to podcasts and to get ideas and to be inspired. I do a lot of listening to podcasts myself. I like to read a lot. Again, it is important in this day and age that we also talk to each other. So as much as this is an opportunity to listen, it is also an invitation to start a conversation with other people in your life about who you are, what you value, and the dreams that you hold. And I would just remind people that the dream space is almost always available. 
you can also then, you don't necessarily have to be dreaming with other people to share your dreams. And remember that those two things go together, right? And it is a way to sort of find where your alignment lays with other people, right? To see if you're sharing like part of the same dream. And it's also a way of like, if you can imagine, it's a way of like other people being able to carry your dream with them into the world and vice versa. And I think that's one of the lasting um, sort of things that come out of dreaming is this idea that we're also carrying each other's dreams for the world we want to see and live and love in. And if you can't imagine a thing, you can't create a thing. So it has to start with imagining the world that you want to live, love, and work in. Beautiful. Beautiful. Both of you really enjoyed sharing time with you both today. I am going to add all the things because I do want Mm -hmm. to see your work spread and for you to be abundant in money and Mm -hmm. in gifts and in other Mm -hmm. things. So if you would just go through the list of uh, the first one is Tree of Change. I know that you're fundraising now for the Queer Arts School. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, and then also, tell me, tell me the things. How to find it's, you? Treeofchange.net. And my personal e- uh, website is crystalmason.net. Yeah, so you can find more about Tree of Change, uh, as Crystal mentioned, at treeofchange.net. That's where you can find and book us for dreaming sessions. We also do retreats. We've helped organizations reimagine their mission, vision, and purpose in order to realign themselves towards the work that they're doing versus the work that they say that they're doing. Um, So we do a lot of that work. Um, we've also been working a lot with organizations to uh, embed political and peer-based education into their organizing models. So if you're looking for how to take your political education one step further, please reach out to us through treeofchange.net. As uh, Laura also mentioned, uh, Crystal and I are a part of a wonderful new offering, a radical offering called Queer Art School. You can find more about that on my personal website, which is queerlycomplex.com. It's on my website because we are a volunteer collective and have not actually built a website for Queer Art School yet. And it was just fast and easy to put it on my personal website than try to build a whole new website for this thing. So please go to queerlycomplex.com and click on Queer Art School and find out all of the information about that. We are trying to raise a total of $12,000. Our first benchmark is $5,000. We are recruiting a cohort, Black, Indigenous, queer, trans, all ages, all backgrounds, all skill levels, artists that will be taking a three-week course uh, on queering artist narratives. And we actually want to pay stipends to low-income and poor folks who, uh, it's a big commitment to ask people to take three weekends to work on their artist narrative. So we want to be able to pay them a stipend to be able to attend. And that is first benchmark. And then we also want to pay our instructors. Um, We're all volunteering our time to do this, but it would be nice to get a little something, a little cash in our pockets to, to, to facilitate this. But our first priority is stipends for poor folks. And so on that website where you're, um, I get that it's on your landing page, but there is a place for me to donate if I wanted to donate. Yep, yes. just click Queer Art School and there's a big donate button right on Queer Art School's yeah. landing page in like right. five different places. You mm-hmm. can't miss it. <laughs> you, can, you can find information out about that on my Instagram account, uh, which is Pam under, 
what's that thing? The underscore uh-huh. underscore um job one. And on hey. Facebook. Hmm? Ham underscore J O B. Mm-hmm. One. Okay. Um, you can also find information about Queer Art School on our Queering Dreams Facebook page and on my personal Facebook page, which is again Crystal Mason Facebook stuff. I don't know all that, but <laughs> I can write it, but I don't know how to tell you how to find it. That's all right. It will be in the resources on the queerbody.com. So mm-hmm. if you all want to do that, do I encourage you to support these two incredible humans? Thank you for supporting us by your time and your values and your dreams. <laughs> Thank you for having us here and um, giving us a little space to spread the word. And um, as I often say to Jason, uh, in allowing us to proselytize about the importance of dreaming and community making. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. I thank you all. Bye. You've been listening to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of queer identity and healing. For more information about Dr. Laura Polak or our podcast, check out our website, communityholistichealth.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>